And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry, man. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the astonishing Lisa Wolf. In this hour, Dick Powell stars as Detective Richard Rogue on Rogue's Gallery from 1946. But first, it's time for Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous? The Music Edition. That's a long name, it's Lisa. It's a lot of words. That's a lot to say. It is. Lisa will play clips from popular songs and provide a statement about each song. My job is to guess if that statement is real or ridiculous while you play along at home. Right, that's, Lisa? That's right. You've got it. So I have to say, Carl, yeah. this is my favorite segment of the evening. I don't know if the listeners agree or is you it agree. Is it because I'm usually really bad at this? I don't know. I just have the most fun with Real or Ridiculous Music Edition. Right. I think we need to up the ante a little bit here. Okay. So just on the extremes here, if you get all four correct, yeah. then I owe you dinner. Okay. And if I get you on all four, all meaning four. you get them all incorrect, then you owe me a dinner. Okay, sounds good. So, and anywhere in between. And it doesn't, it's, it's nothing. It's a it's wash. It's like a, yeah. Right. Okay, sounds well, good. So it kind of raises the stakes a little bit. All right. All right, no, no on-air batting, so we'll keep this to ourselves. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is all popular duets. Here's the first song. Within the sound of silence. Something Simon you know nothing and, about. Simon and Garfunkel, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know Simon nothing about Simon and Garfunkel. Silence. This is The Sound of Silence. Originally, I will tell you, this is true, it was called The Sounds of Silence. They took off the S, and now it's mm-hmm. Sound of Silence. This is Simon and Garfunkel, written by Paul Simon in 1963. They were really good, weren't they? They still Gosh, are. Gosh, I mean, are they still together and tour oh, and all no, that? No, they're not together, but I meant it's still, I can still appreciate the sound yeah. of silence. I mean, really, they, they had some amazing songs. They really do. Have you ever seen The Graduate? Like, oh yes, my God. Yes, I did. So, all right. Now the statement. Now here's your statement. Okay. In 2003... Simon and Garfunkel reunited to accept a Lifetime Achievement Award and performed this song to open the Grammys. I'm going to say, I'm going to say that that's real. Real. Okay, well, let's listen to the Grammy performance. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Is it real? It's real. <laughs> you can't win. No, but you won't either. <laughs> <laughs> or is it either? Uh, either, either. Which one is neither, it? Neither, neither. They're both acceptable. Um, this is what they perform at the Grammys. This is live at the wow, Grammys. Wow, I got it right. 2003. I they am. reunited for the first time in 10 years. I'm one quarter of a way to That's getting either. a free meal. That's true. One quarter of the way. I'm feeling confident that you won't. 
Next song. You never close your eyes anymore. Your lips. That's never good. You know? <laughs> they keep their eyes open. You're like. So this is You've Lost That Love and Feeling. You've Lost That Love and Feeling. by the Righteous Brothers. You're trying hard not to Okay. But baby. Baby. But baby. Something. Baby, I love it. You've lost that love and feeling. All right, here's your statement. All right. Barry Manilow covered this song. Real or ridiculous? Real. Let's listen. That's Barry Manilow. Oh, man, halfway to a, to a dinner. Oh, no. I'm halfway there, Mike. I'm halfway to it. I don't get paid enough for this. <laughs> Can it be Mies Meals? I would, I would want it to be Mies Meals. Can I have... If I win, can I get Mies Meals off you? Sure. All right. Ooh, Mies Meals. I love Mies Meals. Baby. All right. Wow. You've got two right so far. Mm. Here's the next song. Duet. Summer loving, had me a blast. Summer loving, happened so fast. I met a girl, crazy for me. I met a boy, cute as for me. Let's do it. Summer days, drifting away. A summer night. Well, oh, well, oh, well, oh. All right. All so right. this is Summer Nights from Greece, recorded yeah. by John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John, for yep. uh, the big screen adaptation, 1978. Right. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Here's your statement. Okay. John Travolta sings Summer Nights in an AT&T commercial that aired during the Super Bowl in 2023. Um... Uh, mm. What's the problem? He does sing a song. I just don't know if it's this one. So, are you saying he sings this song or he sings a song? I'm going to read this statement again. Read me a statement. John Travolta sings Summer Nights in an AT&T commercial that aired during the Super Bowl in 2023. Uh, He he does, so I'm just going to say real. Let's listen to it. It's real. Hold on. It's T-Mobile. Oh, that's not. You can't do that. What do you mean? That's not. That's not right. I said it is AT&T commercial, but it's for T-Mobile. Okay. Tricky. Yes, of course. It's so tricky. It's so close, though. He did sing in a commercial. And there's oh, so many songs, and I got the song right and everything. It's the right song, but it's a different company. I think our listeners would be would be want to give me that one. Not for a dinner. No. I'm on Lisa's side this time. All right. Sorry. You're just... 
look at Carl. Carl is so mad. I just want everybody to know he's making faces at me right now. He's making snotty faces over there. More than snotty. <laughs> These are this, this is a more than snotty face. All right. Sorry. All right. Let's go to the next song, little sore loser. I'm done. I don't want to play this. <laughs> I know you are. Taking your ball and you're going home. I, I this is wanna. like I'm, I'm going to lose. I'm done. All right. Then, Shut it down. Then we're done. <laughs> All right, Mike, you want to play? <laughs> Mike's got the answer. Okay, so Carl, this is Like I'm Going to Lose You, Megan Trainer oh, featuring Trainer, guest yeah. vocals from John Legend singing yeah, with her. I like Megan Trainer. She's I like great. them both. All right, that's the song. Yeah. Here's your statement. Okay. Megan Trainer wrote Like I'm Going to Lose You, intending to pitch it to Carrie Underwood. Real or ridiculous? Mm. Ridiculous. You are correct. It is ridiculous. I would have gotten every she one of them. She wanted to pitch it to Kelly Clarkson. I would have gotten every one of you them. You would like, have if you didn't miss one. <laughs> so, oh, so close. So tricky. You so know that? close. So tricky. Darn, I got so three sorry. out of four. Darn, I wish you got that last one. I'm so sad about that. All right. You got me, Lisa. All right, when we come back, it's Rogue's Gallery starring Dick Powell. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Folks, go to MeesMeals.com. Just check out all the amazing dishes that they have there for you. Unbelievable. And as Lisa said, all kinds of food. If you're like a vegetarian, there's absolutely always a vegetarian dish. If you like meat, there's a meat dish. Fish, there's a fish dish. There's also no carb options. So, yeah. for example, if there's a pasta on it, you can get zucchini noodles. So, right. Um, they're they're very accommodating. Yeah, all kinds of vegetables, all kinds of desserts. You just got to see, you know, even if you don't order, just go to their website and just check it out. Because I think you'll find something you like. And then if you want to order the very first time, you get 50% off by using the promo code CARL. It's an amazing Amazing offer. You should try it one time. I'm telling you, you will love it. The food is incredible. Incredible. We all get it here. We're Mike gets it. it. Lisa, I mean, we all love it. We get it each and every week. And you can get 50% off the first time you order Mies Meals. Go to Mies, M-E-E-Z, Meals.com. Use promo code CARL. All right, time for Rogue's Gallery. This was a great series that starred Dick Powell. Sort of a warm-up to Richard Diamond, Private Detective. He played this role before he played Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Came to Mutual in 1945. He was a private detective who invariably ended up getting knocked out in each week's episode and then spending some time in a dream state and he would talk to his subconscious self, Ugor, which is rogue spelled backwards. So you'll hear that in this episode. Sponsored by Fitch Shampoo. I know that's what you use because you have such delicate hair. This is a broadcast. <laughs> I'm very delicate. Going back to February 21st, 1946, the Triangle Murder Case. Here's Rogue's Gallery. <laughs>
F.W. Fitch Company, makers of Fitch's saponified coconut oil shampoo and Fitch's shaving creams, presents Dick Powell as private investigator Richard Rogue. In Rogue's Gallery. Rogue speaking. You know, there's something about me that is to trouble what molasses is to flies. I never go around looking for trouble. Trouble goes around looking for me. Now, take that afternoon a few months ago when I walked into the press room of the Hall of Justice and found, among others, Clark Ames, the young City Hall reporter for the Chronicle, expounding on his favorite subject, a deep hatred for a man named Fred Curtis, nicknamed the Alibi Master. Ames and the other newspaper men had watched Curtis win acquittals for a dozen different clients and always by the same route, unbreakable alibis. This made the clients very happy and the district attorney very miserable. The Chronicle, a crusading newspaper, had, at the instigation of Clark Ames, been running an anti-Curtis campaign, bordering pretty close on libel. And Curtis, who was sharper than a razor's edge and harder to catch up with on the horizon, hated Ames with a wonderful passion. Curtis had won the last round, and Ames was telling me about it. So Curtis goes to Williams, my managing editor, and threatens a libel suit. Well, I had gone a little overboard, I guess. And Williams had to let me go. Temporary layoff until the heat died down. But now I'm back on the job, Brogue, and I'm solid. And you wait until that phony Curtis sees me sitting here. Wait till he finds out I'm back on the job. Huh. Look, Ames, uh, I've been around this town for a while, and if I'm picking out a guy to buck, it won't be Fred Curtis. Huh? How come you decided to make a career of locking horns with the smartest mouthpiece in the business? How do you expect to win? Oh, don't worry about it, Rogue. I got that phony right where I want him. You wait a couple of days, that's all. Mr. Alibi Master Curtis is going to be nailed to the Chronicle's masthead. Oh, uh, hello, Ames. Did I hear you taking my name in vain? Could be. How uninteresting. What are you doing sitting around in the press room? It's reserved for the working press. Hello, Rogue. How are you? How's your trial going, Curtis? Oh, my client will have dinner at home tonight. Jury just retired. Your client is guilty as the devil, Curtis. What's his alibi this time? Now, you know he couldn't have committed the crime. I've just proved to the jury that he was in San Francisco at the time the murder was committed. How are you getting along on your unemployment insurance, Ames? <laughs> it was a pleasure getting you fired. Too bad it didn't last. Well, I'm back on the job, which means I'm right back on your trail. That's bad news for you, Curtis. Uh, do me a favor, will you, Ames? When you call in the report of the not guilty verdict the jury's about to bring in for my client, tell your stupid managing editor I'm filing a libel action against him the first thing in the morning. Uh, look, uh... Curtis, let's go in the courtroom, will you? I'm going to be there when the jury comes in. Okay, Rogue. Oh, here, Ames, here's ten bucks. Go get a haircut, will you, kid? And have your suit pressed. And don't forget to spell my name correctly when you phone that story in. Here's your ten right in your face, Curtis. I'll see that your name is spelled right. In the biggest type in the shop, right at the top of the page, when you're tried for falsifying evidence. And that's going to happen to you awfully soon, wise guy. Here, here, here. Take it easy, Ames. Oh, let him talk. Let me give you something to kick around in that warped mind of yours, Curtis. You remember a guy named Don Thompson? Your alibi witness for Ed Harris a year ago. I'm sure you remember Thompson. What about him? Would it put a crimp in that famous poise of yours if you knew that Thompson had given the Chronicle a signed and witness statement admitting that he had perjured himself in that alibi statement for Harris? That is preposterous. Is it? Well, you'd be in quite a spot if the Chronicle happened to have a statement like that, wouldn't you, Curtis? A statement that swears that you paid Don Thompson $1,000 for the perjured testimony that kept Ed Harris out of the gas chamber? That'd sure stop your clock, wouldn't it? Have you been drinking, Ames? <laughs> you 
You sound even a little more illogical than usual. Oh, that's right. You like logic, don't you? Mm-hmm. Well, figure this one out. I've been trying for some time to get convicting evidence on you. You got me fired for trying. The Chronicle was scared of a libel suit. But all of a sudden, my managing editor, Williams, doesn't seem to be very afraid of your suing the paper. Now, what could be the reason for him giving me my job back? It could be that that statement from Thompson did it, couldn't it? All right, now, sweat it out, Curtis. You'll be seeing your picture in the Chronicle with bars in front of you and a number on your chest in about 48 hours. Not even one of your phony alibis can keep you out of this rap, big shot. I suppose I should be annoyed by such juvenile threats. But I just don't seem to be able to take you seriously, Ames. And the next time I give you my attention, you'll never work on a newspaper again. Coming with me, Rogue? Uh, No, not now, no. I think I'll stay here and use the telephone. You could see and feel the hate that hung in the air in that press room like a cloud of poison gas after Fred Curtis left. Clark Ames went all to pieces as soon as we were alone, paced the floor, said he'd talk too much. He was as worried as a man with a three-horse parley and two winners. Pretty soon, though, he, he left, and I used the telephone to call a couple of girls I know. They, uh, <clears throat> they weren't home. I was about to give up and go to dinner by myself when I turned around and saw Betty Callahan standing there behind me, looking like a million dollars. Which is a nice figure. Which is what she has, if you know what I mean. Betty had a funny little quizzical smile on her face. Hello, Richard. What's the matter? Aren't you having any love? Honey, honey, I was just going to call you. You mean that if Alice isn't home and Liza doesn't answer, I'm next in line. Oh, now, you know better than that. You're always first on my list. Remember, Richard, I was standing here when you were phoning. Sure, sure. I was just uh, just trying to get a substitute, that's all. Uh-huh. Well, what do you want? The names of some girls and a few phone numbers? Now, don't look at me like that, Betty. The only reason I was calling those other girls was because I couldn't find you. Well, I'll forgive you if you'll take me to dinner and then to the theater to see Tallulah Banker. Oh, my goodness, you have such expensive taste. Oh, really, my dear man. I have something infinitely better... I have two passes for the shelf. Well, good. I've got two passes for a drive-in. Oh. Come on, I want to see if I can walk through that door without eating the jam off of it. Oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> so am I. That's the only reason you have a date with me tonight, Richard. Well, then come on. <laughs> All through that hamburger, I kept dividing my thoughts between how such a little girl could eat so much food and that scene in the press room at the Hall of Justice. I knew Fred Curtis for what he really was. Cold-blooded and completely ruthless. I remember that look in his eyes as he left the press room. A little puzzlement, a little fear, and a great deal of malice. Even if nobody else believed the story Ames told, I was sure that Curtis more than half believed it. And that meant trouble for somebody. Betty and I finished our dinner at last, and in spite of everything she could eat, I still had money enough to pay for it and a cab to the theater. We were just back in our seats after the second act intermission when I heard my name being paged. If Richard Rogue is in the audience, will he please report to the lobby? Mr. Richard Rogue, please report to the lobby. Isn't that a sort of obvious piece of publicity, Richard? How the devil did anybody know I was here? You better go see what's so important. Would you hurry back? I'll be right back, baby. Uh I had a bad hunch as I walked up that aisle. 
Those little chills that always race up and down my spine when I'm walking into trouble were acting up. I didn't know what to expect as I walked out into the lobby. Then I saw Clark Ames standing there. His face was as white as a dove's wing, and his eyes had the strained look that is the aftermath of seeing violent death. Rogue. Yeah, what's the matter, Ames? You look like you've seen a ghost. I've seen something worse, Rogue. You gotta come down to the Chronicle with me. Now, get a hold of yourself. You're shaking like a dice cup. What's the matter? Williams, my managing editor, was just killed. Huh? Murdered in this office. Uh, it's tension-filled, Lisa. The Triangle Murder Case, February 21st, 1946. This actually has an AKA, also known as the Alibi Master. Sort of two titles. And uh, Dick Powell starring as Richard Rogue, also in the cast, Gerald Moore and Peter Leeds. Great episode. Uh, I'll never forget, I met Peter Leeds, interviewed him. Great guy. Um, he did a lot of work with Stan Freeberg as well. All right, we'll get back to, uh, you like this show? Yeah, it's great. Rogue's Gallery, so stick around. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, Sam Spade, Burns and Allen, Have Gun, Will Travel, Gangbusters, and Sherlock Holmes, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Carl Amari and I co host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. That's us. We're Hollywood 360 last time I checked. Uh, so, Carl, with a 65-year legacy of delivering the most insightful political commentary in America, National Review is the obvious choice for discerning conservatives who want to go beyond the headlines. From the latest news in Washington and the upcoming Republican primary race to the political, cultural, and economic trends impacting everyday Americans, their hard-hitting analysis is a must-add to your daily reading diet. We love um, National Review and are excited to have them as a partner because their writers and editors really do dive deeper into these stories than you'll find anywhere else. No talking heads, no clickbait, and none of the sensational coverage you see everywhere else. Hollywood 360 listeners can start reading today with a special 60% discount on any subscription option. You should try their digital membership, NR+, which includes unlimited access to all their premium content, plus a world of membership perks like monthly calls with movement leaders and commenting privileges on the website. Just go to nationalreview.com slash Hollywood. That's nationalreview.com slash Hollywood and take advantage of this limited time offer of 60% off. I love National Review. I've been reading it 
for years, Lisa, like, I don't know, 20 years. And it's an amazing magazine. And take advantage, folks. Get 60% off by going to nationalreview.com slash Hollywood. All right, we're listening to Rogue's Gallery, February 21st, 1946. This is called The Triangle Murder Case. It stars Dick Powell. Here's the conclusion. Well, I was working. The publisher of the Chronicle was paying me a grand for putting the long, cold finger on the murder of Williams, the managing editor. I was pretty sure I knew who the murderer was, so it looked like a soft buck. When Ames and I arrived at the Chronicle, Homicide was already there. My friendly enemy, Lieutenant Urban, was in charge, as usual. He walked over from where he was ex- examining the remains of the late Mr. Williams. Hey, Sam, help me with this. What are you doing here, Rogue? Now, Urban, you know whenever anything comes along you boys can't handle, they always send for me. Who's paying you? The publisher of this paper. Now, shall we go on with the third degree or shall we get the work of the murder? What do you know about it? More than you do. When was he killed? The medical examiner says he got it about two hours ago. Mm. Stabbed the death of his own copy shares, huh? Yeah. Yeah, the last edition had already gone in. No one else was in the city room when it happened. Found a motive? Well, look at the office. Every file's been emptied. The murderer was looking for something, Rogie. Yeah, I wonder if he found it. Uh, you wouldn't know what it was, would you? Mm, yeah, yeah, I might. I might at that. I heard the Chronicle had a signed confession from Don Thompson. They were going to run it tomorrow. Now, what was Thompson's confession? Come on, Rogue, you might as well give me all of it. Well, it seemed Thompson was confessing that he had been paid a... Uh, quite a sum of money for a job of perjury by Fred Curtis, commonly known as the alibi master. In words of one syllable, so you can understand it, Irvin, Thompson uh, sold the Chronicle information which would have put Curtis away for about ten years. Curtis, eh? Well, looks like this is going to be a simple case. Could be, yes. Hey, Ames, you know where Williams kept that Thompson confession? It was in the top drawer of this file. It's gone. Uh-huh. Well, I guess that settles that, Urban. Ah, uh, it's too easy. Curtis knows every trick in the book. Hello, Urban. May I come in? Yeah. We were just talking about you, Curtis. You're very welcome. I figured I would be. Why did you kill him, Curtis? You knew you'd be the number one on the suspect parade. Oh, that's not very smart, Rogue. If I had killed him, I would have been much more clever about it. I wasn't within a hundred miles of here when he was killed. Well, that sounds familiar. I, uh, I know I'm wasting my time asking this, Curtis, but, uh... You can prove that alibi, can't you? Of course. I was on my ranch in Antelope Valley when I heard over the radio that Williams had been killed. I suppose my friend Rogue has told you of the fantastic story a drunken reporter named Ames was shouting in the press room at the Hall of Justice today. Yeah, I told him. He knows all about it. Oh, incidentally, uh, Thompson's little composition is missing. The man who killed Williams lifted it. Very convenient for you, wasn't it, Curtis? Convenient? Oh, there never was such a confession. There couldn't have been. Because there wasn't the slightest background of truth for the wild tale Ames told today. Okay, Curtis. We'll let you know what we think of the story after we've checked your alibi. You were on your ranch in Antelope Valley when you heard the report of William's death. Yes. That's about a hundred miles from here, right? Approximately. As soon as I heard the report of the death, I knew I would be a suspect. So I started to town. I stopped in a bar in Palmdale for a drink on the way in and then came directly to the Chronicle office without stopping. My car's at the curb now in front of the building. Ryan... Check those alibis. Oh, they'll check, Lieutenant. I'm sure they will. The alibi master would never slip up on his own alibi. That's right. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Rogue. Uh Uh-huh, and uh, I'm sorry to be disappointed, Curtis. You sure you don't know anything about this murder? You 
You didn't hire someone to do it for you, did you? Of course not. I had nothing against the man. Why should I want to kill him? You can go, Curtis. We'll try to break that alibi or find the boy you hired. Until we do, take it easy. Thank you, Lieutenant. Oh, you can reach me at my office if I can be of any further use to you. Oh, uh, Curtis, are you going back toward the Biltmore Theater? Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to get back there. I left my car there. And, oh, brother, Betty. Ooh, she'll massacre me. <laughs> I'll give you a lift. Come on, Rogue. This Curtis guy was strictly the deluxe type. His car was a long, sleek black job a few sizes smaller than the Queen Mary, but with approximately the same amount of power. We got in, Curtis turned on the ignition, and the gas gauge swept clear across to full. Curtis had said he drove directly from the bar in Palmdale to the Chronicle office without stopping. Uh About 70 miles. Mr. Curtis's carefully planned alibi was not so carefully planned. I was enjoying a short ride with a murderer. He saw my eyes on the gasoline gauge, followed them with his own, and then put his hand in his coat pocket. I knew there was a gun in it. As we drove away from the curb, I picked up a copy of the Chronicle, which had been lying in the seat beside me. I thought perhaps if I could hide my thoughts... Uh, a little better I, uh, if I pretended a great nonchalance with no part of which I felt. Curtis was not sure that I'd attach the proper importance to the story the gas gauge told. He, uh, he was being nonchalant, too. I, uh, had a little dough riding on prevaricator at 7th today when I came out. Ought to be in that paper, final results. Where'd you get it? I bought it in Palmdale. Then? Huh. This is the Bulldog Edition. Oh. The Bulldog Edition is sold only on the streets in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm afraid I made a mistake, huh, Rogue? Yes, I'm afraid you've made two of them, Curtis. This paper and that full gas tank. You didn't drive 70 miles in this gas eater without stopping and arrive here with a full tank, did you? You're very observant. Looks like you're cracking my alibi, huh? You killed Williams, didn't you? Yes, I had to. I had to get that confession of Thompson's that would have ruined me. I owe that impetuous reporter a great debt for tipping me off to the Chronicle's plans for crucifying me. You, uh, have any plans for me? Yes. Yes, I think I have it worked out. I'm going to drive you out to the suburbs to a spot I know that's probably deserted by this time. Now, if you were found there, shot. Aren't you overlooking something? If I'm found there, shot, Urban is going to pick you up fast. (laughs) You're going to do better than that, Curtis. Well, if there were signs of a struggle and your wristwatch had been set an hour ahead and smashed to set the time of death, and I was at Lincoln Heights Jail talking to a client at the time the police would figure the murder took place, that might do it, don't you think, Rogue? No. It's no good, Curtis. You're slipping. In the first place, there's always the possibility that a shot would be heard. The district I have in mind is deserted by now, or will be, before I consummate my plan. And Urban is no fool. You'll be awfully suspicious. Might give you the paraffin test on your gun hand. No, I, I I, don't think you're going to handle the situation that way, Curtis. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be kind of hard to handle, even for you. You know, Rogue, it's amazing how fascinating crime, I mean the actual act of committing a crime, can be. Have you ever killed anybody? No. Now look, Curtis, I suppose you know that you're going to get caught. I know nothing of the kind. Successful crime is nothing more than planning, careful planning. Oh, I'll grant you, Rogue, that I'm going to be suspected of your murder. 
I'll never be convicted for it. I won't take any chances. You're wrong, Curtis. You talk like a sick man. You can't beat the law. If you commit a crime, you're going to pay for it. Let's go down to police headquarters and talk this thing over with Urban. What do you have to win by adding another murder to your score? Mr. Rogue, I love life too much, and I love success too much to let anything stand in the way of my life as I live it. You, you just can't understand that, can you? You think that a man of my background and position must be horrified at the thought of taking the life of another human being. Well, you're wrong, Rogue. I have my own code, my own ethics. You know and I know hundreds of reputable businessmen in this town who spend their days and nights, their lives, grasping for money, for power over the lives of more and more people. <laughs> well, when one of them wrecks another man's life or his business, it amounts to a victory, which is celebrated by the wrecker at his club that evening. If the victim commits suicide, and he often does, they're sorry. That's all. It's just business. What are you trying to prove, Curtis? I'm explaining why I killed Williams. Why I have to make sure that you and the knowledge you have of my affairs are disposed of. It's a matter of business, Rogue. Now oh, you're crazier than a coach. You know that, Curtis. You're not talking like a rational person. You're going to pay for this crime. Don't move. Put your hands back in your lap. I think you know that I won't hesitate to kill you here on the road if it becomes necessary. Set your watch up an hour. One hour, Mr. Rogue. Okay. You got a new plan? Yeah. We're on the outskirts of town. I'm going to stop the car when I come to an advantageous place. Then I'm going to knock you unconscious with a tire iron, smash your watch, throw you onto the road and run over you. To all appearances, your murder will be the result of a hit-and-run accident. I will have an alibi which will make it impossible for me to have been in the vicinity at the time of the accident. That, I think, is a perfect plan. Ah, it's full of holes. In the first place, Urban will check the tread on your tires, and in the second, he'll never fall for that smash watch trick. You'll never get away with it, Curtis. You've been buying up juries and alibis and evidence for so long that you've forgotten that they're honest people. People who can't be bought. Urban's one of them. He'll stay with you until he gets you for killing me, Curtis. Now, you'll have to come up with a much cleverer scheme than what you've thought of so far. Maybe you're right, Rogue. What are you doing? What I'm going to do now, Mr. Rogue, won't need any alibi. Look out, you fool. Curtis! Curtis! Give me that wheel! Sit back there, Rogue. Get your foot off that accelerator. You're going to hit... Turn that wheel! Give me that wheel, Curtis! Goodbye, Mr. Rogue. Let go of that wheel. Let go or I'll shoot! When I saw what that madman Curtis was going to do, I knew I had nothing to lose. He had that big, powerful car wide open and heading straight for a stone wall. I tried to grab the wheel and turn it. He fired at me just as we crashed into the wall. I only remembered turning the wheel enough to deflect the shock a little. And then... Oh, then I was on cloud number eight. Hugo was there, waiting for me. <laughs> oh, Chief, you had a close call there. Hey. Hey, Hugo, where have you been? I had a little trouble with the OPA about Cloud 8, and I had to go and see them. Oh. Then I had a tough time getting a reservation back. <laughs> but I'm glad to see you, Rogie, with your usual bump on the head. Oh, am I dead? <laughs> Only the good die, young Rogie. Hey, you got company. An old friend of yours is up here. Look, over on Cloud 9. See him? Oh, Curtis. He isn't dead either, huh? Oh, no. 
But I sure thought I was out of a job when I saw you slamming into that wall, Rogie. You ought to take better care of yourself. For me. Yeah. Look, I gotta get out of here, you go. How badly am I hurt? Oh, you're okay. That car was built to take it. <laughs> you won't be playing any gin rummy for a while, and you can't collect on your insurance. Give me a little boost over the side, will you, Yugor? I gotta get downstairs before Curtis does. Sure, Chief. Here you go. So long, Rogie. <laughs> Rogie. Rogie. Uh, hello. Hello, Irvin. Hmm. Fancy meeting you here. Receiving hospital? Yeah. What have you been up to? What were you trying to do? Kill yourself? No. No. Is, uh... Is Curtis here? Yeah, yeah. Now, I'll ask the questions. What happened? How badly is, uh, Curtis hurt? Leg broken, that's all. He's still unconscious. Look, uh... Urban. He, uh... He killed Williams. He... He, uh, tried to kill me. He admitted it, eh? Yeah, after I caught a couple of flaws in his alibi. You got enough dope on him to make it stick? I don't know. I don't know. It would, uh, be my word against his. But I got an idea. An idea that might sense the deal. Every once in a while, you do have a good one. Get the, get the chief surgeon over here, will you? I'm gonna need his help. Okay. Here, here, here. Lie down there. I, I don't want anything to happen to you, Rogie. I was worried about you. You're such a pest. I'd miss you like the devil. I'll get the doc. When I outlined my scheme to the chief surgeon, he looked for a minute like he might call in the head of the psychiatric ward. But with Urban's help, I finally got him to agree to play it my way. He bandaged Curtis from head to foot, put constricting straps across his chest, and cinched him down like a saddle on an outlaw horse. Then they put him in an oxygen tent and brought him out of shock. Urban pulled out all of the stops as he stood by the side of the hospital bed and talked to the murderer. Like a father... Curtis, can you hear me? Yes. Who is it? Lieutenant Urban. Did the doctor give you the bad news yet? Yeah. Crushed chest. Nothing they can do, I guess. No. You haven't got long to live. Anything you want to tell me? Might as well go with a clear conscience. Did you kill Williams? Yeah. Yeah, I killed him. I had to do it. I killed him. I killed him. Well, that was the end of the case. Brilliant piece of work on my part, I, uh, I thought. Going through that little tableau of making Curtis believe uh, he was on his deathbed and had nothing to lose by confessing the murder. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I love that urban... He's so proud of the fact that he confined his remarks to the truth when he was talking with Curtis. All he said was, you haven't long to live. Remember? Huh? That, uh, that was true enough. Curtis was executed a few months later. 
which proves that the theory about perfect crimes is as foolish as a sure way to beat roulette. And, uh, Betty... Well, I, uh, I left her in a theater when I started out on this case. It cost me about, uh, oh, just about what I made, a thousand bucks, to get her over her peeve. So I broke about even on the deal. Oh, well, you know the old saying, a fool and his money are some party. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is Dick Powell again, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed our story tonight. Ray Buffum wrote it. Leith Stevens composed and conducted the music and D. Engelbach produced and directed. Don't forget, you've all got a date with us next Thursday night. We have a story for you about uh, the last time Rogue saw prison. So make a date with us, will you? Thanks for listening. And now, once again, here's Jim Doyle. Be with us again at the same time next week. Oh, and be sure to see Dick Powell in his latest RKO picture, Cornered, at your local theater soon. Remember, tune in next Thursday, same time, same station, when you will again hear Dick Powell as private investigator Richard Rogue in Rogue's Gallery. Remember, if dandruff is your problem, ask for Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo. It's the only shampoo made whose guarantee to remove dandruff is backed by one of the world's largest insurance firms. No other shampoo can make this statement. Ask for Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo at your drug or toilet goods counter, beauty or barber shop. Fitch is spelled F-I-T-C-H. All right, there it is, Rogue's Gallery, February 21st, 1946, the Triangle Murder case, also known as the Alibi Master. Dick Powell starring as Richard Rogue, and uh, as I said earlier, this was like a warm-up to Richard Diamond, Private Detective, because, you know, he, in 19, I think it was about 1948 or 49, he started playing the role that he's really known for on radio, and that's Richard Diamond, Private Detective. But this was a series that he played uh, prior. In fact, you know, I don't know if I've ever t- told you this, Lisa, but he actually auditioned for the role of Johnny Dollar, but did not get it. We have an audition, though. We'll play it on Radio Rarities. Yeah, that's perfect. That's yeah. what we do. Yep. Dick Powell did audition for Johnny Dollar, did not get that role, then got the role on uh, Rogue's Gallery, and then, of course... But he just wasn't uh, quite ready yet. Yeah, he wasn't ready for the Rogue. Huh? Yeah. No? No. 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 Yeah. He, didn't have the, he didn't have the thing ready no. anyway. No, but, um, he didn't do it because it wasn't fun. It wasn't good enough. It yeah. didn't make the grade. All right, well, anyway, hope you enjoyed Rogue's Gallery. Time for Sarah Knight Adamson. She's Hollywood 360's national movie critic, and each week reviews a new film release. Sarah, take it away. Hi, Carl, and hello to all of our listeners. Tonight, I'm going to review the TV series Outer Banks Season 3 on Netflix and the film Creed 3 playing in theaters. Outer Banks is a teen drama with action and mystery. It's set in a coastal town along the Outer Banks of North Carolina. 
In the series, there's a glaring social divide between the wealthy seasonal residents, nicknamed the Kooks, and the working class locals, named the Pokes. From the very beginning, it was always Kooks and Pokes. Some people with everything, and some with nothing. That's the way it's always been. A group of Pogue teenagers, with John B., played by Chase Stokes, as the leader, are on the hunt to find his missing dad. Madeline Klein plays Sarah Connor, a wealthy kook who falls in love with John B. The group discovers a famous treasure tied to John B.'s father. I love the beautiful scenery, the nonstop action, and the teen's friendship. I'd say three stars out of four. Next up, Creed Three. Michael B. Jordan stars, directs, and shares screenplay credit. It's the sequel to Creed II and the ninth film in the Rocky film series. The film stars Tessa Thompson as Creed's wife and Jonathan Majors as his former friend who's just back from prison. How long were you locked up? 18 years, bro. Just got out last week. Glad to have you back out, huh? I know I've been away a long time, but I kept myself in shape. I still got gas in the tank. Come by the gym. Thank you. Wow, the choreography of the fight scenes is incredible. I enjoyed the storyline between the two boxers and seeing Tessa Thompson in her role. I say three and a half stars out of four. Be sure to check out Outer Banks, Season 3, streaming on Netflix now, and Creed 3 in theaters. This is Sarah Knight Adamson, your national film critic for Sarah's Backstage Pass. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right. In our next hour, it's a true crime case, Lisa, solved by Scotland Yard on Whitehall 1212. And it's going back to 1952. But first, Lisa Wolf Dillon is our lyricist for Learning the Lyrics. That's right. We're on the letter K. Can you think of a K. song that begins with the letter K? Knock a little trouble myself. Three times on the ceiling if you want me. It's a good song, but I've done that one before. Oh, have so you? I didn't choose Twice that one. on the pipe. Boom, boom. If yeah. the answer there is no. Yep. Oh, my darling. Not. Three times. Anyway, no, so not that one, but three <laughs> others. All right, so. that's in our next hour. See you soon. Well, hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform. 